This is Clutch Fans. The Rockets are going to Boston. How sweet it is! And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> I'm ready to get on Clutch fans. Now, here's your host. The man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while since we've done this, but uh, rocket season is back now and gaining a lot of momentum as we're right now in the thick of things with training camp. And joining me today is uh, Lance Thompson and special guest Ben Duos. Uh, you may know him as the cat uh, on the Clutch Fans forums. And Ben, thanks for joining us. Sure. Glad to be here, Dave. And Lance as well, I should say. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. I think we're all just trying to recover from the Texans' loss on Sunday. Yeah, it feels like it feels like the whole city of Houston is kind of looking forward to the Rockets as you know our saving grace. At least the Rockets are here. At least the Rockets are here. Yeah. At least uh, at least we're we're talking about a team who hasn't lost 15 straight to close out a year or collapsed in a second half. Yeah. Every uh, Houston fan was clicking this podcast to get away from that and get 30 <laughs> seconds for you to bring it up. So, yeah, great job. Yeah. You promise we won't mention Matt Schaub after this. Okay, yeah. great. Um, you know, so much has happened. We've had media day. You know, we'll get right into training camp as well. But media day, lots of things happened. It really started out with Mikhail and uh, Daryl Morey talking and, you know, really giving us the lay of the land and what they view. And one of the big things that Mikhail has focused on, even focused on on Tuesday here at training camp as well, that he wants to get Ashik and Dwight Howard on the floor together. Um, that's sort of on his to-do list and, uh, you know, figure out how to get those two to play together. I thought it was interesting that it was the third thing that he talked about on his to-do list for the year. There's been a lot of conversation about how much they're going to experiment with it. And for him to put that so so near the top to say, you know, we want to get Omer playing time alongside Dwight, I, I think is a, a good sign that they're really very serious about experimenting with it. I'm a little more optimistic about it than most people are. I still don't give it a better than 50% shot. But, you know, I give it maybe, you know, a quarter to a third, you know, a shot that maybe it works out. The, because the one thing towards the end of last season, it kind of went under the radar. But Ashik, he actually put in a little bit of work on like his 18 to 20 foot jumper, hit a few, um, started working a little bit out of the high post. Even though he's not the most coordinated guy, he does have a fairly high basketball IQ. He is a decent passer. He at least put in some work on the jumper to where he looked competent. It's a stretch to say that he could, you know, work out of the high post a lot. But I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, he is a hard worker. He does learn very well. If you might could see him do it for, you know, a few minutes a game. And a few minutes is all he really needs. Because when you think about it, you know, I'm assuming they'll probably want to hold Dwight's minutes to probably 36 a game, especially in the early going. So Oshik's going to have at least 12 at center. It wouldn't take that many other minutes for them to play together, maybe 8 to 10 a game. And all of a sudden, Oshik's over 20 minutes a game, and he's playing a pretty significant role. You know, it's funny. Mikhail said something on Tuesday. He said the four and five are interchangeable in his system and that, that Dwight Howard can play both. 
you know, to me, I thought, well, I could see fours playing the five. I don't see how in Mikhail's system the five plays the four. Uh, you know, I, to me, I don't see it working for very many minutes. Like maybe you guys, you know, have some, you guys have, certainly have some great points and it could work out, but I, I just don't know how that's going to work for, for very long. And I think, when you look at basically what they do, I mean, so much of what that that four position is 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 the outside shot. So if Ashik or or Howard are able to knock that down, great. But I just have a hard time seeing them them pull that off. Well, and especially because one thing I asked uh, Kevin McHale at Media Day, I asked him about you know his options at the four, and I mentioned uh, Terrence Jones, Demo, Greg Smith. And he quickly responded, in addition to talking about those guys, in his response to me, he mentioned guys like uh, Caspi, he mentioned Robert Covington, he mentioned, you know, even Parsons for stretches. You know, it seemed like he really saw the four as a possibility for a, uh, you know, a stretch position. So the fact that he, you know, I didn't even really point him in that direction. He went there on his own. And so the, and obviously they did that a lot last year with, you know, Delfino and Parsons playing the two forward spots. And so it seems like it'd be a pretty big stretch to go from that vision to Ashik and Howard spending a ton of time together. You know, like I said, I could see it in spurts. I could see it in matchups, but you're right. I mean, it's hard for me to see it more than maybe, you know, eight to 10 minutes top. Sure. And it kind of depends on circumstances too, who the opponent is, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And one thing that stands out to me is my big, my big reservation with it was always, you know, you've got Lynn Parsons, and Harden, who are all very good slashers, and you don't want two guys that can't hit shots clogging up the lane. You know, when more, uh, when McHale rather made mention of, you know, he wants to get in the ball in the paint every single possession. That to me says that, well, maybe you can play them a little more together than we first anticipated, just because if you're getting the ball in there and counting on double teams, and if they don't double team, then Dwight can obviously just score and spin around his guy or dunk over him. If you're counting on those double teams and don't need guys to, you know, come in and slash, then you can do kickouts and not necessarily worry about the lane getting clogged up for guys trying to cut off other guys. You know, let me let hop into some of the players uh, real quickly. Just what were your impressions seeing them? Uh, you start off with Chandler Parsons and you know what he's had to say and, and just how he looked in general. You know, I think um, – did he say he gained eight pounds this offseason? Yeah, eight pounds. Uh, I think for him, being being on the team now that has another scoring option, he'll have to defend a little bit better, um, you know. And certainly last year, with uh, with kind of how much pace we played with, it's certainly hard to to play good defense all year long. And I think he suffered a little bit because of the pace we played at. But him gaining a little bit of weight and getting stronger and getting better, a little bit better fitness may help him in the fourth quarter be able to defend guys like Durant and LeBron. One thing that I really liked from Chandler over the offseason, I liked kind of the experience he had with the whole Olympics experiment, and I liked that he got a role in which he was a little bit more of a role player and more along the lines of what he'll do with this Rockets team. You know, not that he was exactly a focal point of last year for the Rockets, but after Harden, he was arguably the second best creator out there, you know, depending on Lynn's performance, which varied a lot from game to game, and especially in the playoffs with Lynn out, you know, Parsons kind of had to become that secondary option, you know, to kind of create the offense, but that's not what he's best at. What he's best at is, you know, like Lance was saying, uh, playing strong defense, it's getting out in transition, and being kind of that third wheel, that complementary piece, that glue guy, and over the summer, 
when he played with obviously an extremely talented uh, group of potential Olympians, then he got a lot of experience kind of going back, back into that third, fourth complementary role, which is a lot more similar to where he would be with this Rockets team this year. And so I think that kind of got him a good head start on what he may need to do in you know preseason and this coming year. And I would think he's probably more comfortable in that role. Yeah, um, me too. You know, you, you look at you look at Dwayne Wade in his media day had to talk about how big of a step back it is for him to be the number two and to be de- the definitive number two. For for Parsons, I don't know if that's a big step back. It's just okay. I'm going to play my game. I'm going to get rebounds. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to get loose balls. I'm going to play good defense. I'm going to get out in it's- transition and not have to worry about being the guy in almost any lineup because, you know, even if Harden's out and you have Lynn and Howard in there, Lynn's going to be very good in the pick and roll with Howard. So there's, I don't, I don't see too many lineups where you're going to have to rely on Parsons to score. Yeah. And I would point out that Parsons, when he was at Florida and, you know, he was SEC player of the year, I watch a lot of SEC basketball and he was never, even though he was the player of the year, he was never, you know, a guy that, okay, we're going to give you the ball and clear out. He was a glue guy. You know, he averaged 15 and 7, did a lot of different things. You know, he doesn't want to be the focal point. You're right. You know, just facilitating the offense, loose balls, defense, just being an all-around glue guy, that's what he thrives on. And so I think stepping into that role is going to be very easy for him. Yeah, and I think, you know, he talked about the weight gain. I thought it was evident when he came into the room, into that press conference room. I, But even before he mentioned the weight gain, to me it looked like he had put on some, some muscle uh, and I think the, the thing I've taken away the last few days just in talking to people is I think he's probably a very safe bet to be your third untouchable, that he's in the long-term plans. He's not, you know, we've, we've always kind of heard his name secretly as, as maybe that guy you used to, to get that third star. But I think now with his agent situation and everything and, and his role in, in getting Howard here and the chemistry they have, I think this is a guy that's here for the long haul. And obviously, I agree with Dave on this. My first article for Clutch Fans a couple of weeks ago, I advocated, you know, Chandler being re-signed by the Rockets and restricted free agency. And if I had to bet, I think that's what they'll do, just because I think they want to get him locked up long term as quickly as they can, as efficiently as they can from a cost standpoint. And as you said, he's definitely a pretty long term piece of the puzzle here. The third wheel, as you were saying. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Lynn, um, when he came into the room, I was the first thing I was thinking is his face looked a little slimmer to me. He looks he's in great shape. He, his arms, uh, you know, he looks he looks trim and, and uh, like he's put on some muscle a little bit to me. But his face just looked a little bit slimmer. and I didn't think anything of it. And then after he was done, uh, the media person next to me, Kane says, did he get, did he look skinnier to me? Um, I think just they meant in his face. And I don't know if that was, you know, just me and him that had that unique impression, but that's what it looked like to me when he came into the room. No, I could see that too. CSN Houston actually did like a one year anniversary thing because I guess their CSN launched one year ago and they kind of did a highlight of their first day on the air. And they had this interview of Jeremy from October 1st, 2012. And you're right. He definitely looks you know, you can tell that he's a lot more in shape. Obviously, he hasn't had the knee situation. He's been able to, you know, go full bore into his training and everything else. And yeah, he looks ready to go. Yeah, I, I thought I thought the most interesting Jeremy Lin part of the the media day wasn't necessarily anything Lin did, but more that you know, Mikhail came out right away and said, you know, people forget that last year was really Lin's rookie year, the year that he actually got to play a full year of basketball. And you know, I think there's been a little bit of talk here and there of. You know, with how well Beverly played in the playoffs, 
would Beverly fit better with a starting lineup. But, you know, with what Mikhail said, it seemed like Lynn's going to basically have to get hurt or something for him to lose that job. And Beverly would have to come in and just knock it out of the park for a week or so when, when Lynn was out. Um, but it seems like to me that Lynn is sort of the undisputed. He's going to get every chance in the world at the starting lineup, and it's his job to lose. Well, and people forget that, you know, that stretch from early January on to the end of the year where Lynn shot 40% from the three-point line or close to 40%, that's a pretty big sample size. And if he's near that level for a full year, he's going to fit just fine. And he's he's certainly going to get, you would think, he would certainly get more open looks this year. Right. Um, you know, with the double teams and and with the kickouts, and um, I, I think again, he's I think he's he's a very good pick and roll point guard, and I think um, I think he plays well with Beverly. So there there's going to be a good opportunity to kind of have a three headed monster at the one and the two with Harden, Lynn, and Beverly. Yeah, and before we dive into camp, what were your thoughts on Howard and and Harden? Obviously, these guys are the the anchors of the team. Um, you know, I'll just say that Howard to me just looked happy. He seems, you know, he, he seems very comfortable here. Uh, I, I thought the main takeaway I took from from everything was that there was just so many positives. Everybody looked happy. The chemistry looked fantastic as far as these guys getting along. Yeah. Um, and Howard to me just seems to fit right in. I mean, I know it's early and, and you know, media day, everyone's happy, but it certainly it certainly seemed that way. I had a hard time finding something to be critical of. And you know, but you know what? He was presented with some things to be critical of. You know, people asked him about L.A. and he had every opportunity to turn something negative, but he was positive about that and kind of gave the the Mark McGuire steroids. I'm not here to talk about the past. You know, let's move on. Uh, and I thought they were all good professional answers. And then he would move on to, like you said, thinking happy thoughts. Yeah, I could not have been more impressed by Dwight, honestly. I. You know, obviously everyone wants to go in liking him now that he's one of the centerpieces of the franchise. But, you know, you do hear rumors about his, you know, off-court situations. How much does he buy in? And, you know, one of the things out of L.A. was that, oh, he never bought into being a Laker. He was just passing through. The one thing I was really struck by was how much ownership of this team that Dwight has already taken. You know, and not just from a work ethic standpoint. I think I pointed out the first day of practice, he was the last one to leave the floor but what really struck me was hearing him talk about Omar Ashik. You know, that could be a little bit of a delicate situation for a lot of guys. He's the one displacing Ashik from the starting lineup. He's the one that Ashik, you know, may or may not be upset about with the alleged trade demand. And they asked Dwight about that, and Dwight basically took responsibility. And he told the media, he said that, you know, it's my job to, you know, I want to talk to Omer. I want to make him you know, comfortable our situation, realize how much we need him. And in practice, I want to both encourage him and I want to push him. And it seemed like that Dwight was embracing the possibility as a leader of bringing Omer back into the fold and getting him to fully buy into this team. And especially when you consider the context of Dwight displacing him, that seems like a very, um, you know, it's a challenging task, but I think it speaks well to Dwight's character and his focus that he wants to do that. It really does. I, I think Ashik in general is is such a tough situation. And, I, and Ben, you were you know in that perfect position to catch him for that first interview, really since he's been back and his thoughts yeah. on Dwight Howard, and that was that was outstanding. But it's such a tough situation because he's so important to this team as far as the success to to be able to have the 48 minutes of fantastic defense, uh, you know, in in the post. 
but you know that long term beyond a year or, or however long it is that he, he really just cannot be in the plans and it's a, it's a tough situation and I and I'm curious your thoughts after after talking with him there how he looked as far as his attitude and and you know about this season coming up yeah I mean I'll add the disclaimer that with Ashik it's tough to read too much into his comments because he's kind of a soft-spoken guy by nature and you know never gets overly high on things but it seemed he was definitely a little skeptical you know he had a chance to put out the fire about the trade demand he definitely didn't deny that and more than that when when they asked him about how he thought it would fit he talked about you know everything we've said that he knew it would be great defensively and but offensively, basically, we'll see. Reading just my opinion of it, he sounded a little skeptical. Obviously, Oshik had a front-row seat last year to the small ball that the Rockets played for a big stretch of the year in which he was the one big and basically spaced around four shooters. And it just kind of sounded like from him that he was a little skeptical of both he and Dwight being able to work together on offense in this lineup. But at the same time, he is a he's definitely a professional. He's definitely going to work hard. And I don't think that he's going to, you know, sabotage his own uh, chances. I think he's going to, you know, try his best to make this work. But I do think that he's, you know, he hasn't 100 percent bought into this thing with me and Dwight. We're going to play together and it's going to work. I don't think he believes that. Uh, you know, Harden, the last guy is the big takeaway is that he wants to become a better defender, which to be honest, I laughed at, at media day. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I'm sure everyone wants to be, be a better defender. Uh, um, you know, Marcus Morris said he's Carmelo Anthony, but plays better defense. I mean, there's lots of things that you, you can think of right there. And I'm thinking James Hart is not going to, you know, I, I definitely have him um, penned in as, you know, uh, an elite offensive player and a guy who really doesn't play much defense, but, you know, even on Tuesday, Mikhail said that he, he praised Patrick Beverly as being as good as anybody out on the floor and said that he and James defensively have been, quote unquote, phenomenal. For me, for Mikhail to say that about James, I, that, that surprises me. So I think James Harden is, is stepping up as a leader of the team and, and it's maybe inspired a little bit by the opportunity that they have here with, with Dwight Howard and, and starting to take some responsibility for his defensive game. Yeah, it seems like there's going to have to be more of that from from Harden. I think Lynn made mention of it too on Media Day as well that he's going to have to get better defensively. Obviously, um, if they don't, if if Lynn and Harden are as bad as they were last year, then we'll compete with Dallas uh, for the worst defensive backcourt in the league between those guys. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Calderon and Mata Ellis aren't exactly going to stop anybody either. But um, you know. I think just like I mentioned with Parsons earlier, with another guy that can score and another guy where you, you, you don't have to necessarily put pressure on yourself to make plays. You know, with Lynn, he doesn't have that pressure anymore to make plays. He has pressure to stand and shoot threes or to maybe have a better pick and roll partner in Dwight. Um, so with less pressure on the offensive end, he just really needs to focus on defense and not turning the ball over. Certainly. Uh, it's, a much easier role for him this year than it was last. Absolutely. You know, training camp, this, for me personally, it's just been a little bit frustrating this year. We, for one reason or another, we have not been able to see any scrimmage action. Uh, I've been, you know, mostly excited to see Dwight Howard in action. Hasn't happened yet, but we have seen some very unique things. We come in right after practice is over. These guys seem to get along extremely well on the court. Dwight is definitely, 
uh, the jokester as the, his reputation precedes him. <laughs> um, but seeing Akeem Olajuwon out there, uh, and Ben, you saw him um, on Saturday working with Harden. Uh, he's since worked with uh, Multiunis. I've seen him uh, on two different days now, spending a lot of time with Demo. Uh, and, and to be honest, that's probably the guy I would think would be the perfect uh, fit to, to work with him. It's it's fascinating to watch. He, he definitely um, you know really tutors these guys on on post moves and spin moves, and uh, it's it's interesting to watch these current Rocket players trying to emulate the dream. I love the fact that he's willing to work with some of the guards on this, too, you know, and obviously if they're open to learning from him. You heard about him teaching uh, Len up in Aspen when Len went with Dwight and Hakeem and Mikhail, you know, for that week before training camp. And now, you know, as you said, we got to see him working with James uh, on Saturday, and James just seemed to be totally soaking it up. It's funny, I posted a video, I uh, basically Dwight shooting free throws, because Dwight works on his free throws like nobody would believe. He is constantly at the line, and working on that stuff. And yeah, I noticed in the corner later, I was like, wow, you know, Hakeem is really taking an interest in James. And of course, James in the teaching as well. And it makes a lot of sense because both Jeremy and James, but James especially, you know, he's got a little bit of lower body strength on him relative to his position, you know, and he's obviously very coordinated. He can use both hands. And there are definitely a few situations where he gets the right matchup. He can do some things in the post, especially if he has, you know, the teachings of a guy like Hakeem to back him up. Harden had a good quote on Hakeem. I guess somebody asked him, can a team learn from him? And he said, are you kidding me? Have you seen this guy's highlight reel? Have you seen what he did in this league? And I think that's a great answer because those guys need to be open, especially this early as a team, to, to growing and getting a lot better. And I would be disappointed if they, they felt any other way, especially towards someone like Hakeem. You know, a, a few other things I guess I've noticed. I've watched a lot of shooting drills Early on, I, I did watch uh, Jeremy Lin just briefly, saw him take about 20 shots. He, uh, he did not do well. That was, uh, I think, Saturday, maybe Saturday or Sunday. Um, and then Tuesday, he shot lights out. So, I, you know, there's been talk of him uh, improving his three-point stroke over the summer. I thought it, it definitely looked that way on Tuesday. Uh, he, was, he was nailing him from the outside, posted a video on the site about that. Um, I thought he has looked pretty good. Yeah. And the scrimmage would be especially useful because, you know, the big question on everybody's mind is, you know, power forward and who's going to start there. And as I said earlier, I asked Kevin about that at media day, and it's basically comes down to not necessarily any one thing, but, you know, how they fit with, with Dwight, with James, with Chandler, with Jeremy. You know, it's about the fit, and you can't really tell that. It's not so much about attributes as it is about, you know, scrimmages and preseason games and, you know, actually getting out there and playing some basketball. And that's the one thing that, you know, we all want to see as soon as we can. Yeah, I, I, it's a very good question. It really is, uh, you know, a coin toss. I, I, my money would be on Terrence Jones. I would just be an Mine educated too. guess. Um, but I, I think it could very well be uh, Motiunas. I, I don't personally believe it would be Greg Smith, but, I mean, it, it could be. But, I mean, we were in the playoffs or going into the, you know, and it was still up in the air. I mean, down the end of the stretch, uh, you know, Mikhail tried – Jones, he tried Motiunas, he tried Smith. So we never came away with a clear impression. And so th this camp and, and these preseason games are, are going to determine that. I think to Ben's point earlier in the podcast when he named all those guys, I think Mikhail's just going to go with the guy with the best fit. And, it, and it's going to be different in different lineups. But the fact that Delfino got so many minutes at the four last year um, and, and the fact that Greg Smith started at the four – 
were out of necessity and out of us being, uh, you know, having our backs against the wall, not necessarily out of choice. Um, you know, you mentioned Greg Smith's probably not a candidate to start this year. I would argue he's probably not a candidate to get a whole lot of playing time. I, I think he's kind of the odd man out in this situation. But certainly I would enjoy seeing a lineup where Parsons is playing the four alongside Dwight, particularly if Garcia plays as good a defense as he did in the playoffs last year. Every offseason tidbit that we've gotten has been incredibly high on Terrence, and that's why I keep going back to you know Dwight on Media Day asked, was asking you know, one guy that stood out or really surprised him and he said Terrence Jones. Uh, Jeremy Lidd said the same thing in an interview a month or so ago. And obviously he played well towards the end of last year as well. So just anecdotally reading between the lines, everyone seems really high on Terrence. And he has the kind of stretch game. You know, not that he's a great shooter, but he has enough to, you know, make the defense respect him. And I would also add that, you know, Terrence in college, his last year at Kentucky – had a lot of experience playing with Anthony Davis, who was a you know defensive anchor just like Dwight. He Good was point. Every, yeah. he was every bit the you know the guy that everything gets funneled into. So Terrence understands you know the weak side shot blocking that he had help. I think he's more ready to step into a lineup with Dwight than say a guy like Demo would be, where obviously it's going to be a pretty big change for him. And then Greg Smith, I mostly agree with you guys. I'm higher on Greg Smith than a lot of people. First of all, at media day, I thought he was in outstanding shape. He looked chiseled. But I just don't see him working out, especially at the four. The reason I like him, I love a big guy with the combination of athleticism and hands, especially this combination. You have these guards penetrating, a guy that can catch passes low, high, whatever, and then finish at the rim. I think that's great. However, he has a lot of defensive weaknesses, and – while I think you might could uh, mitigate them in time, I think it's a lot to ask to put him in at the four because at the four it gets even more complex because you have a lot of guys, you know, the jerks of the world that play from the perimeter and you have others that play inside and it just it's a lot of complexity on the defensive end and quite frankly I could just see him getting lost. So yeah, I, don't, and, oh, I don't see Greg as the, the guy here. And I see him mostly out because, you know, if he's not going to play the four, a, a lot of times he played that sort of, backup center role last year when Oshik would come out and he'd slip up to the five well that's not a possibility this year he's let's let's be honest he's fourth on the depth chart there unless Mikhail suits up and he might be fifth yeah uh speaking of Greg Smith the Rockets need to get their roster down from now 18 to 15 the Rockets uh waved BJ Young yesterday uh, an expected move just maybe not this early he's probably uh to give him a chance to to get on elsewhere. But right now, that's a question mark as well, because the Rockets have a lot of guaranteed contracts, and they're, they're going to more than likely have to pay somebody to leave. I would say that the, the five guys would probably be, uh, that would be available, there would be Ronnie Brewer, maybe Caspi, Reggie Williams, Covington, and Smith. Um, you know, we kind of have to pick a few guys out of that to keep. I think keep three of those guys and... and um, cut two last ones. Do you all have any thoughts on who may be the first two to go out of that group, or the last two cut, rather? Well, I think you've got – I'm, I'm going to go with 12 locks, Harden, Howard, Parsons, Lynn, uh, Ashik Beverly, Garcia, Jones, uh, Multiunis. I'm going to say Caspi's in there, Cannon and Covington. Um, um, I think it's going to be 
Reggie Williams, Ronnie Brewer, Aaron Brooks, and believe it or not, maybe even Marcus Camby on the bubble. And then you've got Greg Smith, which I think is a, my personal belief is impossible trade candidate simply mm-hmm. because of the power forward uh, situation. I just have a hard time personally seeing him play some five, which he played last year because it was right. so stocked there. And until they find that Oshik trade, I think he's probably an odd guy out. So if I was to just make a bold prediction here, just a guess, without even us having gone through the preseason yet, uh, I would say that they end up trading Greg Smith uh, for a second-round pick or or something like that, a future asset, and cut Reggie Williams. It's worth noting that you know our our, our two probably easiest trade partners as far as just relationships would be Dallas and Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia is kind of stacked in those two positions. They have a lot of guys, at least on their training camp roster. Um, Dallas's roster has a lot of guys listed as center, but only one power forward. That power forward's Dirk, um, and they've got a couple guys that can probably slip down and play that position. But maybe if um, if Gerson's is feeling generous, he'll take Greg Smith. That would definitely help out because uh, the Rockets definitely have an issue from a numbers game. From my perspective, I think uh, Brewer and Reggie Williams are going to be uh, probably, I mean, there are scenarios where both can make it, but you're probably looking where they're competing with one another. Um, yes. Yeah. Williams obviously has the edge and more guaranteed money, but I don't think that million-dollar difference between the whatever Reggie is owed and the 100000 that's guaranteed to Ronnie Brewer is going to dictate the Rockets' decision. I think, you know, if Brewer outplays him, and the question with Brewer is how well is he going to shoot? But if he shoots well enough, obviously he's a great defender. I don't think the extra $1 million is going to keep Les Alexander, especially in this of all years, from keeping the better player. The other guy that I think is worth talking about is Robert Covington. And I've just, just the same as we heard about anecdotally uh, Terrence Jones impressing, it seems everywhere we've heard from players in the team to you know, beat writers like Jonathan Fagan with the Chronicle, everyone is high on Covington and everyone says he has a good shot. And I am too. A a good friend of mine from uh, the Mizzou J School is the Murray State beat writer for men's basketball. And she emailed me once the Rockets drafted Isaiah Cannon. And right after that, they agreed to deals with several undrafted guys, including Covington. And she told me, point blank, Covington can play. If you get him in camp, he's going to have a good shot to make the roster. And she knows him because Covington played at Tennessee State. That's in the same uh, conference, the Ohio Valley, as, you know, Cannon at Murray State. And ever since then, all the other reviews the summer have been positive. And like I said earlier, even McHale went out of his way on media day to mention Covington as a possibility for, you know, a stretch four, a guy that with athleticism, a little bit of length that can shoot. It just seems like they're really high on him. And if the Rockets like a young guy and see him with a future, I think they'll find a way to squeeze him into the 15. Yeah, one point I'll make is, you know, Beeman Thug in his article, the cap recap, made the comment, you know, none of these guys, money doesn't really make a difference one way or another with these guys. It's going to be how well they play, how well they fit. I would argue in Covington's case, that's that's I agree with what he's saying with the money not really mattering. But I think it's a big indicator that on draft night they were willing to give him guaranteed money, that they saw someone that was going to be yes. – uh, someone that they were going to keep because otherwise they gave him a half guaranteed or partially guaranteed contract just in case he doesn't make the roster. Giving him a fully guaranteed contract to me says, especially for a guy like Daryl Morey, who you know he loves his non-guaranteed or his team option contracts. Oh, absolutely. Trade bait. So, 
Oh, absolutely. And, and Greg Smith being one of those cases where he's is uh, non-guaranteed until January 10th. For for them to give him that kind of a contract, to me, says he's going to make the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one point to bring up: we talk about Camby and Brooks possibly being on the bubble. I, I would say that Camby and Brooks, if anything, provide a little bit of insurance in the event of a Lynn or Oshik trade, or a Lynn or Oshik injury. Um, you know, should one of those guys go down, them making such a big priority of 48 good defensive minutes at center. There's not a better, cheaper fit than Canby. And I would say Aaron Brooks, who played here last year, is a fan favorite and uh, obviously did pretty well in the playoffs in McHale's system, not, not afraid to shoot it, um, would be a good backup point guard for a stretch of the year should Lynn get hurt or should Lynn get traded, or Beverly for that matter. You know, I'm not suggesting that Lynn would get traded. Um, you know, That's not a talk necessarily. Absolutely. To me, Canby is... In, assuming he makes the team, he has an insurance policy for February 2014 and beyond. I would be surprised if he plays much at all until then, barring injury. But with Oshik, there's always the possibility of a big deal. You know, if the right deal presents itself and they move Oshik, you know, for a power forward or, you know, maybe for an upgrade at the point guard, who knows? But they may not be able to find another backup center you know, until the off season, until they have more time. And so to me, Camby's role, in addition to leadership and all the other kind of stuff, he is a perfect Matumbo-like Band-Aid to where if they need him for the final two months of this year and the playoffs after Oshik gets dealt to the deadline, then that's his time. Before then, he's just, you know, as we said, he's just there for insurance. Yeah. As as we bring up the point guard position a little bit with, with Brooks and, and talking about Lynn and Beverly as well, there seems to be, and I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier. There's, there is a little bit conversation about, you know, who would fit better in the starting lineup, whether that be Lynn or Beverly. Um, you know, certainly we're talking a lot about fit in the power forward position, but I think there is at least you can say there's an argument to be made that Beverly may fit better in the first group, and and I would certainly argue that Lynn. You could make a good argument that Lynn fits better in the second group, being that he thrives being the guy with the ball. Well, you know, uh, Carl Fudge just wrote a story about that or just did an analysis of Lynn last year and, and sort of his strengths and weaknesses and, and what he can expect this year. The, the hope is that he'll improve in these certain areas. And uh, I thought it was an excellent article, but he just talks about really about fit. And Beverly last year, it was it was fascinating that this guy they could just pull him out of russia bring him over here and, and have this impact um I, I will say that uh kevin McHale is is very high on patrick beverly i mean he said he that he's been as good as anybody out here uh in training camp so far and um just that he said he picked up right where he left off last year just making plays but that's not a, a you know a knock on on jeremy in any way i think it's great that they have both um they're, they're definitely different style players. I'd, I'd go with Beverly for defense. I'd go with Lynn for offense. Um, you know, as far as fit, I think if you were to look at it on paper, I would think you would say Beverly's the better fit uh, with Harden, a guy who doesn't command the ball as much, a guy who plays probably a little bit better defense, a guy who maybe, maybe or maybe not uh, will knock down the open three better than Jeremy. We'll see how that, that actually plays out. Um, but there's a lot to be said as well for having a guy uh, you know, having two guys um, who can both just find the lanes and attack the basket when you have a, a Dwight Howard, you know. And so I, I think 
Um, it's Lynn's job. I think if they struggle in some way, that may, uh, as Carl pointed out, that could come into play, that you may see Lynn uh, go into a six-man role. But uh, I think it's his job. I think he's the starter, and, and right now Beverly stays the spark off the bench. And I think having Lynn opposite Harden on the other side of the floor, you know, as you mentioned, having Lynn out there with the starters, the Lynn-White pick-and-roll game can be very deadly. And if and when those scenarios present themselves, that's going to help James, you know, reduce his usage, reduce his workload a little bit. Because I think we all know that towards the end of last year, Harden just got very tired from just the incredibly high usage his first year as a starter, and then obviously being the guy on a team playing 40 minutes a night. And having Jeremy out with the starters, I think, will go a long way towards keeping James fresh and keeping his usage at a reasonable rate. I agree, and I think I think the other thing that will help that is that I think Lynn and Beverly can play together just fine. I think you know oh, yeah. your your yeah. defense your defense. If Harden gets better defense, then your defense maybe takes a little bit of a step back. But you know I think your pick and roll offense doesn't take much of a step back, um, and and I think that will also help. You know if you could just go from 42 minutes a game or whatever it was that that he played last year down to you know something a little bit more reasonable. Especially in those tough stretches of you know back-to-backs and road games, you can take a little bit of pressure off if there's a big lead. And I think also Lynn and Beverly, I don't think there's going to be one that's going to get a dominating amount of minutes. I don't I don't see one of those guys only playing you know 15 minutes and the other one playing 35 or 37. I think they're going to be around equal minutes. And I think certainly them <laughs> stepping in and playing together and um, like I said, there, there's a three-headed guard at the one and two spot, and whoever is that fourth guard, I would guess, is not going to see a whole lot of time because the three of them play well, so well together. Right, and as you said, it will be situational. Just you know, some nights Lynn has the hot hand, or he has the better matchups. Other times it's Beverly, and it's going to vary a lot by the opponent. You know, Oklahoma City with Westbrook, that was a little bit of a favorable matchup for Beverly, and other nights, you know, it's going to be for Lynn. And as you said, it'll probably even out over the course of time. Yeah, and I think I think it's going to be a good year for him. He's in great shape. I, I, I really do think it's going to come down to how well he knocks down the open three, as far as you know this this team's success. Um, and it's I think Carl's article, the title was was right. It's a big test for him. I think the pressure's off as far as him having to have these twenty point per game numbers. That's that's not the case at all. But I think his efficiency, the, the pressure's on. And so um, you know we'll see how he does. But I think it's a, it's a, just a big test for him this year. I think that position, you can argue, you know, all the traits you talked about with Beverly, he's a really good glue guy, too. And since you're not expecting big point production of that, out of that position, that's a position where you could argue you need more of a glue guy as well. So with, with Lynn, my big thing, I agree, you need to knock down open shots and you need to not turn the ball over. And I'll just say before we go, um, just all on the all on the Lynn line, I think, you know, where we saw that, that brief stretch where we thought he was being shopped, I did um, sort of get confirmed over the you know last several days that sort of where that Chris Paul stuff came from. And this, you know, Bill Simmons first reported about how Chris Paul was going to go to Houston, and that's what got you know scared the Clippers into to getting that Doc Rivers deal done. But that is what happened. That Paul's agent had relayed uh, that had called the Rockets or, or communicated in some fashion, saying, "Hey." You know, if you get Dwight, we're probably coming. So there was a, a brief stretch there where the Rockets believed they were going to get both players. And so it was like uh, a major party going on. And I think what probably happened is that at that point they had to um, aggressively 
find offers for Ashik and, and Lynn in the sense where they weren't getting anything back because they couldn't just sign Chris Paul as a second, uh, you know, player outright. They had to do a sign and trade or, or make some other type of deals. And so. keep in mind that all of that stuff happened, the Clippers drama with Doc Rivers on draft week. And draft week, you know, there are very few secrets on draft week. Every, everyone's talking to themselves, to the media. There's so many leverage games being played. And so, of course, that was going to get out. And I think that's why, you know, as – a few people reported that the Rockets were quietly shopping those two. And, you know, because, yeah, it was on draft night that I think we first heard the Lynn rumor. Yeah, I think you're right. First game, guys, is coming up Saturday. So it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. At this rate, that would be the first time I get to see Dwight play because we have not seen any scrimmage, and I don't know when we will see some. But no. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys for joining me, and uh, I appreciate you doing this, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks for having sure us. Thanks for having me.